ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between. Oh, welcome back to another edition of the Ryan Show FM with your host, Ryan Verdell. This is a study of Americana, all of the parts of American culture that I deem worthy enough to look into. That means baseball. That means American history. That means American science, music, and more. And tonight, I've got two great guests that are coming in. The first of which is definitely on my bucket list. The great Johnny Damon. Yes, that's right. The Johnny Damon. You remember him torturing the Yankees and then redeeming himself and coming back to the New York Yankees. So I've got a lot to ask the guy. And beyond that, he's just an overall great guy. I met him at UFC Boston very, very briefly. And if anybody is a face of baseball in the 2000s, he's definitely one of the guys known for his iconic beard and hair looking much like Jesus Christ himself. Really cool dude, like I said. So I'm excited to sit down and talk to him. And we can even talk about the woes of the Yankees. The Yankees season is finally coming to an end. And before we even get started on tonight's show and I tell you who the other guest is, I want to kind of give a little bit of a recap of the Yankees season. Those that have been listening to me every week, especially this year, have heard me ranting and raving lots about the New York Yankees, what could be done to fix them. So I'm excited to get professional opinions from a guy that played both under the late great George Steinbrenner and also his son, Hal Steinbrenner, winning the last Yankees World Series in existence, the 2009 World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Johnny Damon was a huge part of that. It's been a long time since 2009. If I'm not mistaken, according to my wee little brain, this will be, I believe, the 14th season since the Yankees have been in the World Series, and that is just not acceptable as a spoiled Yankees fan. It just ain't happening. But the silver lining for the season is that we're finally forcing this Yankees franchise to make moves. And I think it's Hal himself that's doing it, maybe with a little bit more rationale than his father. His father was just firing everybody left and right. Somebody did anything wrong, you're fired. One of the great parts of American culture is firing people like George Steinbrenner. Hal seems to be taking a different approach. And If you've been paying attention to the Yankees, you know that they brought up this great crop of young guys that I must admit Brian Cashman did draft. And a lot of these guys are looking pretty good. I'm excited about this new generation of baby bombers, as we're calling them. So even though it was a horrible Yankee season, the Yankees didn't make the playoffs. They've officially been eliminated by the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Red Sox didn't make the playoffs. I mean, shoot, even the Mets didn't make the playoffs. So uh, it's, it's good to know that there is actually something tangible in the future for us. Rodon, our pitcher that we just signed for a, a big seven-year contract, he's starting to pitch to what we signed him for. He's looking all right out there. I know, albeit he did lose the last game pretty badly. We do have the best pitcher in baseball, Garrett Cole. We do have, I say, the best power hitter that we've seen in the last 20 years in Aaron Judge since the days of Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. Yeah, I said it. So there is some silver lining there for the future. Was it a miserable year? Yes. But if you remember, I remember 1995, barely, but I do remember. And although they did make it to the playoffs, it wasn't like they did much in it. And it was a pretty torturous year overall, especially the year prior baseball was canceled. So who knows? Maybe this is kind of, uh, uh, you know, they say history repeats itself. So we've got a great group of veterans in there. We've got some great young guys in there. So I guess we'll see what happens. And knowing the New York Yankees and the history of the Yankees, who knows? We might just make some big signings. We might make a huge acquisition of the offseason. That's really the icing on the cake. Maybe a Cody Bellinger. Maybe we'll find a way to trade for Juan Soto without giving up any of these great young prospects that I've mentioned. Guys like Austin Wells and Evan Pereira 
and obviously Jason Dominguez, who is hurt, but he'll be back next year. So I'm excited to sit down with Johnny Damon and talk about the future of the Yankees, what could be done, and most important, what has been done, his great 2009 World Series ring, which I imagine he'll be wearing during this interview, but hey, we'll see. And returning tonight is Joseph Hill, the historian that has just been stirring up a ruckus with me behind the scenes. You can look on the YouTube channel for The Ryan Show and see what looks to be a civil war happening in the comments when it comes to some of these history videos. Well, I listen to some of these comments, and I'm going to bring on historian Joseph Hill to ask him some questions that you, the listeners and commenters of The Ryan Show, had about his history. We're going to question FDR. We're going to learn about these Japanese internment camps. We're going to see if there's really black soldiers that fought for the Confederacy. That was the one thing that people kept saying to me over and over again. Ryan, there were so many soldiers that fought for the Confederacy. You need to learn your history. So I've done my research. Chat GPT has damn sure done its research. And Joseph, as always, has done a whole lot of research. So he's going to come and answer some of these imperative questions here tonight on the show. So we got baseball for you here on The Ryan Show FM. And we can be followed at The Ryan Show if you'd like to see some cool little video clips that I make of the show. Maybe it'll entice you to go listen to some of the old stuff. And don't forget that you can hear more of me talking sports every Sunday on Fox Sports Rochester. That's 1280 AM on the dial if you're in Western New York or simply Google Fox Sports Rochester and you'll see a link to our show, What's Going On with Nate Brown Jr. and the crew, myself, Franco Vanderka, George Radney, Joe Hill, who'll be here tonight, and a plethora of other great sports minds. Everybody stick with us because Honky Wonky is going to get things started tonight. This is indeed The Ryan Show FM, and we shall return. Let's go. I got a bump to suck my cock till I nut. Spit it on my gut and slurp that uh, back up. Ain't that a hell yeah? We'll take it in the uh, for about an hour. Now she wanna uh. You didn't know that we be on her. Luke and Biggie straight squat. Lick your toes. No, you must be crazy. Squirting your face and then I'm swayzy. Recognize G straight up. I can't knock what? After Big Papa, uh, all the Junior Mafia. The whole click suck. Click. Need your number by the phone. Bring your uh, to home. Uh, Lexuses and Benzes, the flyway with the flyers uh, Getting on the highway My way, deep throat on loops But when the moon rises, I'm in her eyes It's just the way players play Leave it up to me, I get fucked all day All day, smoking blunts, counting cheeks Believe what you say, baby All I want is big booty Check it out, there's another one All I want is big booty We'll take them to the crib and let the bone in All I want is Big booty. Check it out, there's another one. All I want is big booty. So take them to the crib and let's debone in. Biggie back from barbecue, the bar mitzvahs. Don't fit, use your lips, cuz. I'm feeling kinda itchy for a quickie. So take off your coat, all you got to do is lick me. Me eat you, I beat you, then greet you to the door. Cause I don't love you no more. Which one of these in the lobby wanna slob me? You know me, I like my brown like Bobby. So I could bust off on their glass. On the glass I wanna uh, on your tongue and gums all night uh, Drink nuts by the pipe Midnight, it's time to come up. 
with some huh. trying to bust a nut. I ain't seen this many what in a long time. I wanna make them all mine. It's getting kinda late and I can't wait. What? The first day I pulled huh. call me rude. But then she ate it like food. Shrimp. She noticed the limp and the whip. Recognized game, you've been pimp by pimp. Throw all that out the window. You come up short trying to doubt the pimp. Too short, baby. Straight from open. Funny is my fix and I can't be broken. Freak what's all on my. We on to Brooklyn, Oakland, California. All I want is big booty. Check it out, there's another one. All I want is. Big take them to the crib unless they bone in. All I want is big booty. Check it out, there's another one. All I want is big booty. take them to the crib unless they bone in. You knew I was a dog when you met me. Uh-huh. Show. Yeah. Say anything you want to hear right about now. To the spot. Let's do it our way, you know? It's the only way to do it. It's the only way we do it. Yeah. It is me versus me. G versus G. Cause if I die, you ain't gonna rebirth me. If I lose it all, you ain't gonna reimburse me. I'm in God's house, but I ain't never had a church key. You in the mud. If you got the drip with a derby, yeah, they hydrated. Behind Enos, they are thirsty. Every time I say a verse, it's sort of like I'm verse me. Yeah, I'm gifted, but God bless, they done curse me. Yeah. You can pray or you stay where the demons are Moving in a European, might move to Europe or take a trip Cause out here you dead if you breathing wrong Pay attention or get attention paid You don't need a barber, my n- to get an instant fade You don't need a hair salon to get a permanent Out here they carry them flamers and they burning it If you can't money, my n- I hope you earning it In the trenches living the wrong life Well I'm wishing you live a long life and I'm praying you get the foresight to shine on these like Porsche lights. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. But I'ma keep it real. A knife or a gunshot will kill y'all. Never try connected with that won't feel y'all. Get your own lane, man. Then you peel off. Yeah, this is OG talk. Yo, I was live from the old heads with OE courts. Playing Shinobi in the bodega. Crack was bottled back then. And I had it, yeah, you know me, dog. Had a hundred pack on me or a fifty pack on me. Nowadays I lose fifty, get fifty back on me. And I ain't doing dirt no more, cause I came from it. No, I get busy, man. Got my name from it. They call me Holiday Styles. Around here I'm outside, it's like a holiday down. This ain't Twitter, little. Don't you follow me around. Got a bunch of killers that'll holler you down. Ghost. In the trenches, living the wrong life. Well, I'm wishing you live a long life And I'm praying you get the foresight To shine on these like Porsche lights Yeah, showtime and go time You were just an amateur This is pro time before rap I had a plug and a dope line I could really manage a dope line This is more than a dope line Cause now I get the smoke on the yacht Stare at the coastline All praise to the most high Cause right after him, I'm the most high in the trenches, living the wrong life. Well, I'm wishing you live a long life. And I'm praying you get the foresight to shine on these like Porsche lights. Hello, friends. We are back again. And my God, do I have something to scratch off the bucket list for all of my listeners today? 
One of my favorite baseball players of all time is here after 18 seasons and working as an entrepreneur. He's got his own drink out now, A-game. Always brought his A-game when he was playing in Major League Baseball. And my relationship and love of the great Johnny Damon started many years ago, back during the Ken Griffey Jr. baseball game, when I always acquire him, when he was a Kansas City Royal, wearing 18 on the Royals on my team. He was incredibly fast. Somehow this guy is one of the most durable players of all time, and he's here with us right now, the great MLB champion, New York Yankees World Series champion, Johnny Damon, is on The Ryan Show. How are you, brother? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, and I heard you said, surprisingly, he was uh, this and that. I, you know, I went after it. I brought my A game every single day, you know, hit those home runs, scored those runs, and picked them up and put them down, you know, so... It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, you are right. I used to be fast, but I did score a goal in soccer yesterday. Okay, see, so you still got it going. I also saw you recently on the Savannah Bananas. You're rocking that yellow. Oh, yeah. I love that yellow. The Savannah Bananas are very fun. It's great for baseball. It's great for these uh, families to take their kids out and have some fun. You know, uh, at the end of the day, the party animals and the uh, Savannah Bananas, they want to win. But at the end of the day, every fan leaves super happy. And that's absolutely incredible what Jesse has done for them. Especially when they make a game-winning catch. The coolest part about the Savannah Bananas is that the fans can literally get involved. I mean, fans' lives have been ruined by catching <laughs> balls hit by baseball players. But, wow, I think that's great. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. It, takes you a bit to learn all the rules especially if you're playing now if you're just a fan watching uh you can figure it out but when you're in the heat of the moment and you take a ball four you have to start running and seeing how far you can uh get and uh those guys are so good i mean catching fly balls and doing backflips uh you have stilts out there pitching and hitting um you have super fast guys <laughs> out there doing backflips and um they're dancing it's a great time a great family event now if you can't get tickets do so because they sold out so much i believe they sold around six hundred thousand tickets this year and wow. they had about six hundred thousand on the waiting list this year so uh it's a uh, great seat uh you can think about like all the great shows that have been on broadway or whatnot this is uh spectacular and for me the best absolutely the theatrics of it it was kind of like we had uh we had the harlem globetrotters as kids and now kids these get these days get to get the savannah bananas and it's just perfect for social media i mean who doesn't want to see everybody oh. dancing on tiktok it just goes hand in hand i can buy myself flowers yeah these guys are crushing it these guys are like fit they're built and so they have a uh, long list of uh fangirls out there uh, chasing them uh, it was great to take my mom out there to do the uh, uh, Granana um, dance, and uh, <laughs> she got a big standing ovation. So, and I also took my uh, seven-year-old son to go watch me play baseball for the first time. So, uh, wow, yeah, yeah, they take great care of us, and I'm hoping to stay in somewhat decent shape and uh, hopefully pick up the bat. And I'm not worried about throwing the baseball anymore. I can barely lift this unless I'm doing like. Uh, uh, shoulder presses and all that stuff to get going. But don't, throwing anything was tough for me, but uh, throwing the baseball nowadays, forget it. <laughs> you had one of the sweet swings of baseball. 
I could always throw people out. But what stood out to me was looking at the back of your baseball card, you played in over 140 games in 15 different seasons. That's insane. What's the secret to that type of longevity? Well, taking care of myself. I mean, I did not get going and training until around February 1st of every year. And like these guys now, which is great, they actually start working out uh, after the season ends. And I think that's great if you have that kind of dedication, but I needed to uh, bring back that dedication a little bit and chill, relax, enjoy family time, enjoy the swimming pool. Um, so stayed in somewhat shape, but I needed the body to rest because it's a long season. It's a tough season. And uh, yeah, I'm very proud of that stat. I believe it was uh, 16 um, straight years of that. And only Brooks Robinson and I believe Willie Mays and I are the only three who have done that. Um, obviously, Cal Rifkin would be on the list, but there was a strike year. But I um, prided myself for being on the field, you know, for my team, but also for the manager, because a lot of times guys will walk in and tell the manager, you can't go today. And maybe they can't. But if I was there, I was going to give it my best. The only time I really didn't go to a baseball game was uh, when I was playing for the Yankees and uh, my wife and I had our baby girl Danica and you know we were facing Javier Vasquez that day and I was like well my last two at bats against it was very successful and I'm going to have to uh take the day off as a Yankee but uh I'm sure he would have um got me that day and but we brought in a beautiful girl to the world so that's the only time where I was saying man I gotta go to the ballpark I feel like I'm missing something it's like that dream like you're can't get to class and uh i couldn't get to the baseball field that day and it was very tough for me oh man and tough for us yeah but hey you got to miss it sometimes you're gonna miss a game it's got to be for something like that so i'm gonna take it back to a very traumatic time in my life i don't have too much time with you so i need to get this out 2004 game seven i've watched my team that i so happily watched dominate Baseball for many, many years just collapsed to the Red Sox. And in comes Johnny Damon looking like Jesus Christ himself. Beard, hair. And he nails a grand slam in the second inning. I believe it made the score like six to nothing in game seven over that right field wall, which you got to know very well. And my God, was that just a crushing blow. At that moment, did you feel like you guys had everything under wraps, including the World Series? And what, what was going through your head when you hit that grand slam? 2003. We remember 2003 so much that a 6 nothing lead at Yankee Stadium is never safe. So, yeah, we didn't win anything. Somehow we came back from a 3-0 deficit to push game seven. That was the most amazing thing. And then getting into game seven, we see what happens. Uh, best team, you know, wins on that day, but we have so many talented players in this game that anyone could have made a difference on, uh, on that day. It just happened to be me and I, I love it, but obviously, obviously I respect the game so much because I know every time there's a winner, um, there's a loser out there on the field. Like, uh, and that day belonged to myself and the Red Sox. And, you know, I couldn't have done it without those guys getting on base for me and Big Poppy hitting his big home run and um, Keith Folk shutting the door down. I mean, 
it's a team game and uh that's why what makes baseball so incredible and i know we're heading into the last week of the regular season and <laughs> we already know this uh baseball playoff season is going to be unbelievable and can't wait there's a lot of teams who have a chance to win and um a lot of mvp candidates uh uh, to see uh, step up as well. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, just what was the mentality going into St. Louis? Did you guys already I – mean, what was the energy like in that Boston Red Sox locker room going to that World well, Series? Yeah, well, we were very excited, but we also knew that if we did not win, we do not break the curse. So we <laughs> uh, had to uh, um, keep up the momentum. And fortunately for us, I mean, yes, we're facing a very tough – St. Louis Cardinals team, but we are facing guys who pitch very similarly. Uh, we yeah. started off with Woody Williams. I know we had uh, Chris Carpenter and Jeff Supan and uh, uh, Jason Marquis. So all these guys have a little bit of difference, and the Carpenter was hurt. So uh, I was fortunate because Carpenter absolutely owned me. And then uh, – um, we were just able to like squeak by and win these uh, close games, and uh, and the rest is history. I mean, eighty six years of uh, um, torment for the Red Sox fans, and all of a sudden, you know, we uh, um, we shocked the world and we made so many people happy. And uh, it seems like the Red Sox know how to win nowadays. And uh, uh, four World Series since two thousand and four—that's the most in baseball, um, just over the uh, Giants. And uh, but yeah, absolutely amazing. You kind of helped usher in the reverse curse on us Yankees. Although 2009 might speak otherwise, we're gonna play one quick song, come back, talk about a game, and a little bit about Yankees baseball because I think you might have the key to what could fix the New York Yankees. But we're gonna find out. Johnny Damon is in studio, scratch it off my bucket list. Damn it, we're out here, baby. Nobody go anywhere, we will return. About what you did, but you never done it. Admit it, you bitch. 
it cause the next man came platinum behind it I find it ironic So I researched and analyzed Most write about stuff they fantasize I'm fed up with the bull On this focus of weed and clips And glocks getting caught And wax not being flipped It's the same old, same old Just straining from the anal The contact is not complex The vex, so why you pushing it? Why you lying for? I know where you live I know your folks You was a sucker as a kid Your persona's drama That you acquired in high school And acting class Your whole aura is plexiglass What's the face told me you shot this kid last week in the park, that's a lie You was in church with your mom, see I know Yo, slow your roll, get we good to go Guys be locking in this thing called rapping just for dough Of course we gotta pay rent, so money connects But uh, I'd rather be broke and have a whole lot of respect It's the principle of it, I get a rush when I bust Some dope lines or roll, that maybe somebody will quote That's what I consider real in this field of music Instead of putting brain cells to work, they abuse it Non-conceptual, non-exceptional Everybody's either crime-related or sexual I'm here to make a difference Besides all the riffing The traps are not sticking Rappers stop flipping For those who pose lyrical But really ain't true I feel Hard And we are back again Johnny Damon is in studio Or I should say Sort of in studio You know how it is It's virtual these days once a Yankee, always a Yankee. So he's here with me in the home of the Yankees, the Hamptons. That's what I like to call the home of the Yankees, man. Because I'm pushing you <laughs> off the Shinnecock Canal if you're not a Yankees fan out here. Johnny, you came to the Yankees. And this was under George Steinbrenner, if I'm not mistaken. And everybody, the first thought we had was, what's he going to do with the hair and beard? Did it, was it some type of a conflict that you had with Steinbrenner? Any conversation? How did it go? There was no co conflict whatsoever. Uh, when I signed with the Red Sox, I had short hair and a clean, young-looking face. And uh, there was no conflict because I have a lot of respect for the game. If I was going to say, oh, I want to keep my hair, that means I'm disrespecting uh, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, um, Posada, Mariano, Jeter. All those guys I would be disrespecting saying, you know what? I'm going to make my rules here in New York, and that's how it's going to go. Like the Craig Nettles of the world and Chris Chambliss would come find me and like beat my ass if I uh, had disrespect for the team and disrespect for the boss. And, you know, if uh, George Steinbrenner wants to pay me a lot of money to come here and play center field and be a big cog in his offense, I'm going to listen to what my boss says because uh, he, he had faith in me to bring me there after playing in Boston – he wanted me for a long time, and uh, uh, they missed out uh, when I was a free agent in 2002, and they just uh, signed someone else. So uh, he wanted me. He finally got me, and I was uh, so happy and proud to bring him his uh, very last World Series and also the New York Yankees' very last World Series uh, appearance and title. So my bad, Yankee fans, and my bad they didn't bring me back. <laughs> Which means so much more now that it's been so long. But, you know, that's music to my ears because Johnny, as he sit there sipping that A-game, which, by the way, this whole episode is brought to you by A-game. What I hear coming out of your mouth is the pride of the Yankees. And that's yeah. something that I feel, I don't want to say it's missing because I know Aaron Judge is proud to be a Yankee. And Garrett Cole, I was watching the other night, I went to the game. You just see it in the way he walks, that he's proud to be wearing those pinstripes. But there's just something different about playing with the Yankees. It's everybody's dream as a kid to play with the Yankees and have those pinstripes on your back. So you really got to just, in lieu of tradition, win, damn it. Win yes, the World Series, yes. damn it. 
Yeah, and I was at the stadium a couple of days ago. I took my son to his very first Major League Baseball game, and we were in New York, and uh, we got to see them play. They did not win. Uh, we did get to see a benefit. Uh, Bo Bichette is from Central Florida, Orlando, close to where I grew up, and uh, it's great to see him having success because, like, seeing him as a kid and, like, even seeing, like, Pat Mahomes as a kid when they were on – the baseball fields uh, back in the day is absolutely amazing. And uh, we got to see him hit a home run. I was sad for the Yankee fans, but uh, very happy for my Orlando Central Florida boy. Yeah, hey, the, Bo Bichette is looking pretty righteous out there. The guy is good. So, and his hair is great, too. Like his hair, hair is got like, this, <laughs> I wonder where he got it from. I don't know, but his hair is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we talk about the boss. And George Steinbrenner, and George Steinbrenner stepped down while you were with the New York Yankees. I believe it was 2007, if my memory serves me correctly. My senior year in high school, and two years later, the Yankees win the World Series. A new stadium opens up. How much of Hal taking over that team? How how much did it actually impact that change in ownership, essentially, and the way that the Yankees were run? How much did it impact? a World Series run two years later, if at all. Okay, um, I'm going to have to be honest. Can you bring back that question? Because these, uh, when I took my hair down, these things flew out my ears. (laughs) Okay, so Steinbrenner in 2007 steps down. Hal steps up to run the Yankees. You guys win a World Series two years later. If at all, was there any impact made because of the different owners in that 2009 World Series run. How much of an impact did Hal have on that run? Well, obviously, we went out and we spent a bunch of money to get the guys that I was recruiting very hard uh, during the 2008 season. I mean, uh, CC's an absolute beast on the mound and a great Yankee. And we always had to face A.J. Burnett. So every time I went to Toronto... I was like, AJ, bro, like, we're going to be strong, but we get you, we're going to win a World Series because when he's on, he was the best pitcher in baseball. And then um, you just throw in a first baseman like Tex. I mean, a guy who can pick it, a guy who's a switch hitter. I mean, we spent some great money that year, and it definitely helps. And we also had guys step up. I mean, Phil Hughes was – huge uh, coming out of the uh, bullpen. I mean, he kept gaining weight, like, because uh, he was coming out of the bullpen. He went from, like, 220 to, like, 260, and his fastball went from, like, 93 to, like, 99. Wow. Brian Bruni, like, all these guys were incredible for us. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, winning a championship there and making my uh, time going to New York and leaving the uh, uh, Red Sox, it made it worthwhile. I mean, I'd say so. Another World Series, and albeit, especially now, it must have more value and carry more weight because it's been that long since since we won a World Series. But before we get into that really quickly, you mentioned the signing of all these great Yankees back in 2009 that led to that World Series. Maybe I'm just a spoiled little Yankees fan here, but every time a guy like Bryce Harper goes to another team, especially when it's a lefty like you, when I just imagine how many home runs would be hitting at Yankee Stadium, I just feel like kind of slighted. I mean, what's the key to saving the New York Yankees? Do we have enough right now, or should we be making some Steinbrenner-esque signings? 
Well, obviously, every year that comes to an end, there's going to be a change, whether it's uh, one player or five players or a couple coaches. Uh, I don't want to say what the best thing to do is, but we need some left-handed hitters to take advantage of that porch. And when Rizzo went down, I mean, uh, we thought Bader was going to be there for a while, but I mean, the game of baseball, it's about uh, what can happen right now. We have an opportunity to trade you, save some money for the rest of the season. And that's not the way the Yankees go about it. The Yankees go about it as we are going to go out and get the best player. And it may take a couple years, but yeah. you're always going to be in the uh, postseason hunt. I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees not being in the postseason is like just, I mean, people are going to watch, but people watch when those two teams get in. So um, I'm not sure what they're going to need to do. Um, you know, Cashman's been there forever, and everyone's calling for him to uh, whatever. Um, Cashman's been fantastic with the Yankees. Um, he's going to make sure when it's his time to leave that the Yankees are in the best position to move forward and continue to win championships. I mean, he's won five of them as well. So, yeah, yeah he loves the Yankees. He's been there for 30 years. So um, people talk about, like manager and coaches. Well, the players have to go out there and play. And unfortunately, this game is uh, what they always said is about inches or millimeters yeah. or centimeters now. So there's, they just need to win. And uh, I think when Aaron Judge got hurt, that was a big turning point when you lose uh, the reigning MVP, take him out of the heart of the lineup. Yeah, that's going to change a lot. I mean, in 2009, we were a 500 team until A-Rod got back from injury. And when A-Rod came back, we started thumping people. And I was like, wow, this is uh, what Yankee baseball is all about. And, you know, they're figuring it out. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough to make the playoffs. It's tough yeah. to uh, win playoff games and series and win a World Series. I mean, I was fortunate. I won two in 18 years. I wanted to win 18 in 18 years, but guess what? Uh, there's too many great talents out there, and uh, the baseball gods uh, definitely uh, look after you, but you have to go out there and get the job done. Mr. Damon, I know that you are a very, very busy man, I, and I just asked one more question here. Not every championship holds the same amount of weight. I'm sorry. I know people say – I mean, obviously, they're all incredible, but your two World Series rings are two of the most impactful World Series in the history of baseball. Especially now as a Yankees fan, my God, what I do to watch some 2009 Yankees. Which ring at this point means more to you? Well, I will tell you that the Yankee ring is the only one that fits on the finger that I set it for. I broke my uh, knuckle, but <laughs> oh, no. um, I don't think you can top the uh, 2004 World Series ring with the Red Sox. I mean, it was 86 years. It was coming back from a 3-0 deficit. It was... Um, about mending families and hearts and making people so happy. Um, so that you can't top that, but yeah, you do want to win one every single time you go out there and play. And I'm going to cherish my New York Yankee ring because I know 
it was the last one, and who knows when they're going to win again. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> Don't say it, Mr. David. I was at UFC Boston 292, and I saw you there, and the city of Boston still has so much love for you. That was one thing that stood out to me. So you are still, indeed, one of the most loved athletes in Boston history, as well as here in New York, which is a pretty much unheard of title to hold. My God. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned to you before we got going, I mean, someone who's been loved and hated everywhere. So I guess that's a great thing because if someone really hates me, they're like, son of a bitch. Like, I probably do need to buy him a beer or something because he did <laughs> win for the Red Sox or he did win for the Yankees. So, um, but it, everyone knows my, my character. I always went out there, brought my A game. I always hustled. I always tried to be great for the fans because when I was a kid, Going to Tinker Field, you know, uh, Kirby Puckett, Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, mm. those guys stopped and signed autographs for a 11-year-old kid and, you know, uh, made me love baseball for a long time and uh, was able to play it for a long time. And, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. Hats off to you, brother. We're going to be sipping that A-game all night tonight. Anything you'd like to tell us about this new drink, arguably – the greatest drink in all of sports a game absolutely it's the best tasting out there and we always have to bring our a game for every single thing we do whether we're an athlete a teacher you know running a podcast doing doing whatever um you always have to bring your a game it's clean we get hydration from sea salt we get uh our sugars from natural honey and uh, uh we've had a nascar race for the past couple years uh we have Tyler Adams uh, locked in. He's getting ready to start his uh, campaign with Bournemouth in the Premier League. Bo Jackson is on board with us. And uh, go to drinkagame.com, learn about us. We are getting ready to do some uh, nice uh, um, like social media posts and advertising. I, and that's how the world is. But the number one thing yeah. is you all know that Johnny Dame would never put out a crappy drink. So it's great tasting. Make sure you try it. Make sure you let us know because uh, it is someone messed up on the other end because we are the best tasting. I'm just letting you know that. Uh, yo, I mean, you say it's sweetened with natural honey. There's real, uh, you know, it's just real ingredients. It's real. It's the A game of drinks as well. And it's now officially intertwined into the fabric of the culture of the Ryan show. A game is officially a part of this show now. That's right. The advertising yeah. is nonstop. Yeah, and if most of the viewers are up in the northeast go um check it out at shaw's stop and shop giant giant eagle um yeah check out our website to tell you where we're at and we're getting ready um uh, to go hard at it you know kind of bring our a game we we've been kind of um trying to get everything put together right now and it's time to hit a blast just like that uh i won't say that grand slam and <laughs> that PTSD inducing grand slam. Yeah. I, I, hey, I got jammed. Uh, I got jammed on that one. But but the next one I yeah, I had to It was it two. You had two on runs that game. <laughs> I got lucky. Like, yeah. Close my eyes. <laughs> yeah. And the second one was up in the rafters. It wasn't all yeah. like like BS home run barely over the wall. You actually hit into the if I remember correctly, like all the way up into the uh, grandstands yeah. up there. Yeah, I don't think it landed yet. Right. <laughs> Hopefully it never does. But Johnny Damon, it's a it's a damn honor to have you on here. Everybody drink A game. We'll be back soon with historian Joseph Hill. But until then, folks, enjoy your day. We'll be back. Yeah. 
Hey yo, let's get papers and pop mobile holes up in skyscrapers and condominiums overlooking our drug capers. New York City, the only way to play is gritty. I want cheddar so we can front up in the A50. My whole committee like the puff L's and look jiggy. Who want test this? My simi leave you chestless. And ain't this shit that you can say to me when you be breathless. Young but I done did. This shit that you won't do. Sick ahead with that bull. This shit you blab about going through. I got niggas who pump on your block and in your spot. Who sit next to you protecting you but they'll murder you, player. Don status. Well, then we getting chips and sis. And bad businesses frontin' in the clips and sis. Be taking knots from the out of state spots. Any niggas make it hot. Get found in vacant lot. You don't really want to come try. The one guy who stays dumb high from blunt lie. The bracket sang, sang alumni. Who got more beef than the Islamic bomb. So I pack enough sonic arms to neutralize atomic bombs. It's not a nigga in your gang want it. My AK slate gauge, spray strays, and get names on it. Often I bug them, but soften the thug. Have a chump coughing blood, fill his coughing with slugs. Yo, you know I got enough guns to wreck a nation. Any wicked wave of tech and mason, have an explanation. You bring your crew in them, I'm doing them. Then I'm beating them down with aluminum. Then I'm putting two in them. You can't touch me, I've been devil sent. Wanted for embezzlement. A lot of other things, but that's irrelevant. If you love the money, then prepare to die for it. Niggas done started something. You can lay in the flames or hug the sky for it. Niggas done started something. If you love the money, then prepare to die for it. Niggas done started something. You can lay in the flames or hug the sky for it. Niggas done started something. Yo, check out the kid that get coke like Sosa Never turn down Chocha Be in the Costa Rica Sipping margaritas with a mommy Cleaning my Tommy Showing love to my army Whenever the locks find rippy blocks We kill them Yeah, I hear it again But I still don't feel them And this is for the listeners And prisoners And them jealous rap cats That prefer dissing us My 16s be so real You can feel them in your vein Like Romello's pops from Sugar Hill J be the cause for the kiss at your wake Cartel lips spitting clips at your face. We started from the bottom. You'll see bags against pardon. Whatever, we can do it at the garden. Word life, this shit is real big. I'm making it against blow trial, even if they not guilty. I want the palace for my thugs with oriental rugs. Green back some drugs, get whacked for the love. 20s again bad me, still couldn't shatter me. I'm only getting up, splitting up your anatomy. Official block family, grants against handing me. I want the finer things, and I hope you understand me. Sitting at the table planning, plug the fan in. Let the sweat dry off and then grab the cannon. Think the smartest and retaliate the hardest. Regardless, if you a thug or a rap artist, respect me like Pesci. And if rap was hockey, I'd be Gretzky, puffing that sleep. And y'all see been done started something Acting invincible like you guard something If you guard, then I'ma make some lot till you rot And if you a player, then play for everything you got And if you a thug, then start busting all shots And if you a dog, you better bite before you bark If you love the money, then prepare to die for it Nigga done started something You can lay in the flames or hug the sky for it Done Don't come at me with no bullshit. Use caution, cause when I wet this shit, I dead this shit. Like abortions for bigger portions of extortion and racketeering. Got sick and fear. Look what you heard, this what you hear. How much darker must it get? How much harder must it hit? See if your heart is nigga flip. When I start a bunch of issues, I like it so, but not up in my face. So give me three feet, cause when we creep, no more than three deep. Sick and these sheep. Bloodhounds found your shit buried in the mud. Following traces of gunpowder residue and blood. A positive idea is impossible. So you know, John Doe is what they gonna be putting on that tag on your toe. 
Now who gon' tell your mother her baby's under recover in the morgue? Slip as a log, slip out by the dogs. You love a hard-headed again that wouldn't listen, so you got what you came for. Surgery with the chainsaw. I hit the fucking streets, cause like I said before, ain't nothing going down until I eat. Marks like I'm thinking, soul and bound impressive. If it's stressing, if all I'm testing, if game addressing, if it's caressing, and dealing with motherfuckers on all levels. What I'm dealing with is all devils. Fucking with snakes, running with you, get you called rebels. I got an army at 7:30 to get dirty, to get comfortable and worried, to get 30, to get like the berries, to get scary, to get you get it all the time. Cause what they got is all of mine. Your man was talking shit until I pulled a nine. And if I don't know you, I don't fuck with you. And if you with my man, then he getting stuck with you and gave it the money. Cause I just lost my mind when he crossed the line. Sent his back through his chest and I tossed the nine. Hey, your friends, we are back for another edition of the Ryan Show FM. And one of our favorite guests is back again. I don't know if I've seen that kind of traction on posts. It was almost like we started the Civil War all over again in the YouTube comments. A great historian joins us today, Joseph Hill, former journalist. I would not call him a know-it-all because that's just a rude thing to say, but the man knows a lot of things. He's just so well-versed, and he's back to clear up some history for us. After all, this show is a study on American culture, not a biased study of American culture, but we're here for the facts. So we're going to touch things all over the place on both sides of the fence. Joseph, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Last time we had people in a tizzy over some of the comments that were made, not just over the great FDR. We had some people saying that he was a horrible racist talking about internment camps. We had people saying that the South wasn't mad at all anymore. It's it's not mad at all. I made a, a video saying the South is big mad. Yeah, I might have wanted to just kind of stir up the pot a little bit and get that algorithm a cranking. But judging by those comments, the South is pretty pissed off still. We had some people saying that this is halftime. It ain't over till it's over. Quoting Yogi Bear, quoting a Yankee, of all things. It made no sense. But we're going to go a little bit more in-depth into some of these things. And we're going to start out with these uh, these uh, these monuments that are being taken down. Um, it's an important uh, time in history right now because it's almost like history... Some would say it's being rewritten. Some to say the truth. Some would say the truth is coming to the light. So, Joseph, let's get started with what you sent me. You sent me over a couple of emails last night. The Daughters of the Confederacy. I don't think many people know who they are. I remember briefly reading about them in school. But why don't we start here? Uh, The Daughters of the Confederacy and their uh, defense of some of these statues that are being taken down now. Can we learn a little bit more? of these intricacies as to what is really going on with the Daughters of the Confederacy and how these statues even came to light in the first place? Well, the Daughters of of the Confederacy were were one group. There were actually more than one group. Mostly, well, mostly women who were the daughters and granddaughters and nieces of Civil War veterans who were either deceased or still living. And the stories that they got was, it was a noble fight. We never really lost. Um, It was a war of Northern aggression, not a civil war. And a lot of myths about the South and about the causes of the war and about the treatment of Black people vis-a-vis slaves. Slaves were well-treated, you know, garbage, BS. But this is what they believed. And so what they wanted to do was honor the Confederates who fought in the Civil War and you know, make them heroes. 
you know, and I can say right now, and people can get upset all they want. What do you call a person who's in a war that kills other people from the same country, other Americans? When you call that person a traitor? You'd think so. You'd okay. think that'd be a, tra- a traitor. So, or a, yeah, absolutely. So what they did was they made traitors into heroes. You know, because they always had the, both the Confederate flag and the American flag there together. But what really got me and the information that I sent you was, and I just found this out, and it's one of those things that really pissed me off, was that there's it's still there. I guess they're going to move it soon. At Arlington National Cemetery, which is right there near Washington, D.C., our, our our big cemetery for soldiers who fought for the United States in all the wars from the Revolutionary War, World War One, II, Korea, all Vietnam, all yeah. through these wars. They're honored there. John F. Kennedy is buried there. There are all sorts of great Americans buried there. There's a section at Arlington Cemetery where there's this 30-some-foot statue um, paying homage to the Confederacy with all these details. And, and folks, when you see this, because I, Ryan, I sent you that particular statue and then the details on it. Yeah. There are 400 Confederate soldiers now buried at Arlington Cemetery. And what I'm calling for, it'll probably never happen. And this is really going to outrage these uh, nouveau uh, Confederacy people is they need to reinturn. In other words, dig up all four hundred of those graves and move them out of Arlington Cemetery because that's outrageous. I, I mean, how did they get there in the first place? Here's the problem. First of all, it all started with the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, you get Andrew Johnson who comes in, who's from where Tennessee. So he basically was a Confederate, yeah, a, a sympathizer, empathizer. All right. So you get a president who's empathetic toward the South. And two things can be, two truths can be the same at one time. Yeah. That outrageous behavior was also, in many ways, what made America great. We had the bloodiest civil war in world history. We had, what, 700,000 people killed in the war. Yeah. We had all this destruction, yet when the war was over, with the exception of what happened to black people in the South, uh, everything else was pretty cool. There wasn't, you know, if you look at other countries, you had a civil war like that, there would be mass slaughter, mass execution, people would be angry and they would be killing the losers of that civil war. That did not happen following the American Civil War, which is a good thing, but they kind of overdid it in the other way. They were like, oh, we're all still brothers and let's hug and we're all Americans. And they ignored what the Klan and what these Jim Crow people were doing to black people in the South. They just looked the other way. Really quick, you mentioned 700,000 deaths. Yeah. Dead soldiers in the Civil War. Why pick those 500 soldiers? What did they do that was so significant? I have no idea. I don't know if they 
you know, had families of influence or they yeah. were, you know, officers. I don't know. One person who is buried there is a guy named Moses Ezekiel. And this goes to this, the whole statue thing. Yeah. Moses Ezekiel was the first Jewish cadet um, at VMI, Virginia Military uh, Institute, which is in Lexington, Virginia. Yeah. Real big Confederate. It, to this day, it's still the bastion of the South. Yeah. Thomas Stonewall Jackson at one point taught at VMI. And his statue, by the way, which was just moved, was at the front. When you went into VMI, you saw the statues of uh, Stonewall Jackson, who yeah. was the second most venerated Confederate general after Robert E. Lee. There's nobody yeah. higher in that pantheon of the law's cause, we love the Confederates, other than Robert E. Lee. And then the next person there is Thomas Stonewall Jackson. Wow. Who was an amazing general. You know, I'm not taking now, anything do, away. Do you guys, do you consider these two generals and other generals like that great Americans, maybe for what they did prior to the Civil War? Does it all get null and void? For leading well, the Confederate you, Army, you out there killing other Americans. Yeah, you can't talk about how wonderful yeah. they were because they were, and both of them uh, went to West Point. They were both brilliant West Point cadets, and I don't know how many people know it, but the person who was the head of the U.S. military was Robert E. Lee until he resigned his post and became the head of the Confederacy. Thomas Stonewall Jackson, when he resigned his post, that's when he taught at VMI. And then, of course, when the Civil War started, that's when he was, you know, a military leader. Wow. But back to Moses Ezekiel. Yeah. The first um, Jewish cadet. He was the guy who designed that uh, that monument. Wow. And he was all he's also buried at Arlington. He also designed the statue of um, Stonewall Jackson. That's that's at VMI. So there's some news that's coming out now, right? There's been a, a statue is being moved. It, it okay. So Governor Virginia Governor uh, yeah. Glenn Youngkin, who's you know a mini Trump, um, finally acquiesced because the federal government. Biden administration said, you, you know, it's about time. You got to move this stuff. You got to get it out of Arlington. Yeah. Well, then Youngkin, who's the governor of Virginia, went to VMI and said, and it was a good choice because VMI, like I said, is Confederate Institute and yeah. already has um, a tribute to a battle called New Market, where a number of cadets fought and died uh, in May of 1864. And 77 miles from the campus is uh, is a monument to those cadets who fought at New Market, at the Battle of New Market. Yeah. Now they've made it into a monument to all Confederates. And so, and that's where they moved, they eventually moved Stonewall Jackson's uh, statue there. Well, now uh, VMI said that they will accept um, that monument that's now at Arlington, it's going to be moved. They'll accept that at VMI. And Yunkin, who is Glenn Yunkin, who's the governor of Virginia, uh, is the one who came up with all that. Of course, he's critical of it being moved. 
you yeah. know, because like I said, he's a mini Trump. Yeah. Um, but it is going to get moved eventually. And the details on this monument. Oh, my God. Kind of glorified, the definitely glorified. Details turn my stomach. They're, yeah, they're, I mean. Um, you know, it's everything glorifying the lost cause BS, um, including, you know, slaves. I don't know, the Ron DeSantis view of slavery. You know, slaves yeah. who were living this wonderful kumbaya life. And then there's a, one statue of a, a black woman slave holding a white baby, and she's handing it over to a Confederate soldier presumably yeah. his son, but she's raised the baby. I mean, it's, yeah. it's deplorable and it should be moved. But the question is why in the hell was it there in the first place? And one of the photos I sent you, and it's from the library of Congress. So, you know, everybody listening can see this photo. All they've got to do is look it up. Was that the dedication uh, in Washington of the monument? This was in 1914. And guess who was in attendance? I can make a guess because of all the conversations we had. I, you know, well, chances my, are Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow Wasn't Wilson, President Woodrow. Yeah, wow. yeah, he was a he was a Confederate. Uh, he was there, as was Robert E. Lee the Third, um, who was a colonel, I believe, yeah. a colonel or a general, but he was the grandson of Robert E. Lee. Wow, they were all at this dedication at Arlington. By the way. Uh, I don't know how many people know this Arlington Cemetery, and it's this is a fact in history. You know what it used to be before it was Arlington Cemetery? No, please let me know. That was Robert E. Lee's plantation. Wow, wow, that I had no clue of. Yeah. So now he gets to stay buried there. I imagine he's probably the one that gets the pass. I'm trying to think. Is he even buried there? He may be. He may be. I'm not sure. I shouldn't know that. I'm not wow. sure. I mean, I know he has a place of honor. Yeah. I don't wow. know if he is buried there or not, though. That is uh, a gigantic um, plantation. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lee had a lot of slaves. Wow. He, he was a slave owner. Yeah. Yeah. That's Wild what stuff. That's what he was killing other Americans for, was the right to enslave human beings. Which and people seem to forget, like, and even and even in the north, those Christians too. That's the amazing thing, because they'll sit there yeah. and you know the next thing they'll do is have a Bible and call themselves Christians, yet they enslaved other human beings. And you still hear people, even up here, conspiracy theorists, essentially say, "Oh, the war wasn't fought over slavery; it was all about the the bottom dollar. It all came down to the almighty dollar." So. I mean, just look into history. It, it look into things uh, a little bit. It, it's just a surface layer. It's 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 not as deep as you think when it comes to this. There were that many people that were fighting literally for that cause, which is why these causes stagnated so far after the war ended, and so much the Jim the Jim Crow era happened the way that it did, which we're gonna get into in just a little bit. Nobody go anywhere. We're learning with Joseph Hill. We're peeling back the layers of history. And we're not doing it to piss off the South. We're doing it to spark conversation so we can learn more. I actually am going to be asking our friend Joseph Hill some questions that you guys were asking in the comments to kind of clear things up when we get back when it comes to some of these topics, including, I don't know how many people left comments when we made that one video about the Black Union soldiers. They all said, hey, what about the Confederate 
black soldiers that fought in the war. We're going to get into all of this when we return. Nobody go anywhere. This is the Ryan Show FM. Joseph Hill is here. We're going to make you laugh. We're going to make you cry. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back. And we are back again. Joseph Hill is in studio and we are learning the intricacies of this great nation. Yeah, I said it. I do love this country, although it has a lot of stains on it. There's a lot of good stuff that goes on here, too. I mean, honestly, we talk all this. It's to make the country better. It's to understand what really goes on. I always feel like ignorance can be healed, and that includes my own ignorance, too. That's why I have you here. That's why I have every, that's why I read these YouTube comments and take them seriously. Even the biggest rednecks in the world might have some type of point. Or do they? We'll find out right now. We're going to peel back some layers on the black Confederate soldiers. Like I mentioned before, Brick, one of the top comments that was infuriating a lot of our Southern listeners and Southern viewers on YouTube, they said that we weren't paying homage to the Confederate soldiers that fought and that there was a large group of Confederate soldiers. I went right to chat GPT to clear things. I'm just out of curiosity to see what the computers think, to see what this collective assortment of information came up with through chat GPT. Are you familiar with AI and chat GPT, Joseph? I'm familiar with it, but only a little bit. I mean, that's not in my wheelhouse. It's kind of like Google, but it comes up with a more intricate search a more detailed search and it sure. it kind of sifts through every single website and every piece of writing that's taken seriously and then compiles in all under three seconds. Oh yeah. The no, exact answer. Yeah. It's really amazing stuff. And it does turn out that there were some black individuals who served in the Confederate in the Confederate army. However, it seems that they were often forced or coerced into doing or coerced into well, doing so. You know, it wasn't like it was this proud group of black people that. Wait, 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 let, 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 let's 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 time out. So here's, and this is all part of this laws cause BS. Okay, yeah. um, there are a lot of myths, a lot of untruths that are stretched out. Okay, yeah. let let me say a couple of things for people, and I've talk to people, especially when we covered the reenactment of the Battle of Alusti on the documentary I'm working on in Lake City, Florida. Yeah. Which I told you to me in many ways was like a Klan rally. There are people there who swore, swore up and down that there were black Confederate soldiers. I had a guy tell me that they reinterred some of them, that they've got, you know, um, stone, um, Uh, gravestones for some of them. Okay. There were, especially toward the end of the war, you got to look at the end of the war and almost look at the end of World War II with with Germany, when Germany was putting either old men or young boys in uniforms to go fight. The same thing was happening toward the end of the Civil War. When the South started really losing the war, they were losing men. People were deserting, by the way. Huge desertions in the Confederate Army toward the end of the war that nobody wants to talk about with the lost cause garbage. Dudes started walking away from the battlefield. They quit. In order to have more people fighting, because you had people like Jefferson Davis, fanatical racist that he was, and Robert E. Lee and those people, in order to keep the war going, 
two things happened. They told, made black people sometimes put on uniforms and say, you're going to fight. Yeah. Just think about the logic of this, the logic of it, human logic. Who the hell would put on a uniform to fight for some people who had enslaved them, who had whipped them, who had raped their women, who had sold, had split their families up and sold people all the time, treated them like dogs, but you're going to put on a uniform and fight for these people and fight to remain a slave? Think about the stupidity of that argument. And not just that, but even on the other side, why would you give somebody a gun and military training that you had enslaved and think that they won't use it against you? Here's what happened. Two things happened. During the Civil War, there were blacks who they made uh, bury people. So they dug the graves. Yeah. You know, they were basically servants. They were body servants to generals and higher ups. And sometimes they may even say throw on a uniform, but there were blacks who helped the Confederate cause who basically were slaves who were forced into help. Yeah. Then toward the end of the war, there probably were some blacks who they made wear uniforms and say, you know, go out there and do this. But most black people, when they saw the Union Army, we talked about this earlier. Yeah. What they do. They ran away from the plantations and they went to the Union Army because they had enough sense to go. Oh, this is where I can go and not be abused and be free. I'm yeah. going with the Yankees. There are very few black people who were that ignorant, that stupid enough to fight for the Confederacy. But, and we talked about this off camera, and I want to mention this. While we were at Olusty walking around, shooting a video for the documentary, guess what? There's an African-American dude in a Confederate uniform, black guy. It's probably H.K. Edgerton. That's the guy, Joseph, that I discovered on YouTube. I got to some weird parts of YouTube, and there was a guy. We didn't get any video of him because I'll be damned if I'll perpetuate that kind of lie. Actually, if I see him again, because we're going to Lusty again, I'm actually going to try to interview him this time because, you know, like I interviewed a lot of Confederates who were into this law's cause thing before at Lusty. I and I I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to approach him. I don't want the south side of Chicago to come out in me because my first reaction when I saw him was to go over and knock the daylights out of him. Seriously. Knock some sense into him. Well, I, I just it was that outrageous. So I just ignored him and left it, him. Alone. It's gotta be HK Edgerton. It's gotta be this one guy. He shows up at a lot of these oh different protests and rallies and, and he dresses in the uniform and this is right. this So Nate Brown and I, and I don't know if I've ever said this on the air before, but I'll say it now. The psyche, and a lot of this comes from colonialism and slavery and what has been put into black people's heads since they were brought over in Mm. 1619 and changed. There are, Clarence Thomas is a good example. There are some black people who would do anything to be accepted by white people, like anything. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe this. Now I know the, the Confederates are going to go nuts with this one. This is my only me from what I've observed. People I've seen see how some, some, a small percentage of black people yeah. act. If the Ku Klux Klan allowed black people in the Klan, there would be black Klansmen. 
because there are black people who will join anything to be accepted by white folks. And the same goes the other way. I've seen it myself. I bet that if the Crips and the Bloods would allow more whites in it, you'd see kids lined up to join. Not to nullify your point, but I swear, I've seen it growing up in the Hamptons because I guess that black culture is cool. So yeah. it's, it is it is kind of funny, the, uh, the yin and the yang of it, when you really think about it. Yeah. And we were talking off camera about fact being more fantastic than any movie, than any fiction you can make up. <laughs> Just Truly. the facts are fantastic. You don't have to make stuff up. History yeah. is crazy. Truly. Uh, you know, like you said, you saw this guy literally in person. There's this fellow that, just to get into it a little bit, and, he, and uh, let's just, let's just in their defense here, for what it's worth, like you said, it's, it's a colonial mindset, okay. right? It's that these guys colonial have essentially been mindset? brainwashed. A okay. colonial mindset or a colonial brainwashing, Same essentially. too, yeah. Or a slave yeah. mentality. Yeah. So none of this is going off facts because even when I scan chat GPT, artificial intelligence came up with no tangible proof of black Confederate soldiers, minus the ones that were there as laborers, minus the ones that were there yeah. as slaves to kind of assist yeah. no. the soldiers that were already there. So there's a historian, African American historian named yeah. Benny McCray. He's in Dayton, Ohio, and he, we went and interviewed him for the documentary. Benny McRae is one of the leading amateur historians in America, and he knows everything about blacks in the military, like yeah. everything. Originally from Alabama, a uh, military man himself. And you mentioned this kind of stuff to Benny McRae, and you, you think the old man's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> there were no black confederate so that's some of the big made-up bs it's all part of the laws cause garbage yeah uh when you talk to real historians you know you're not going to find this stuff in any book you're not yeah. going to have a lot of photos like i said there were people who dug graves and at the end of the civil war they were putting a uniform on anybody that breathed including boys and old men um but no there weren't confederate soldiers out there fighting in battles um, against uh, the Union. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like... Now, if we were... Now, this is another thing I have to ask you. If we were to somehow find... If I were to go through those weird parts of the internet and find somebody, maybe even get H.K. Edgerton on the show, will you debate him? Or at least put him in his place? Whatever you want to call it? Since, you, I mean, clearly... I feel like the conversation, or, or do you literally just not even take this conversation that seriously at all? You think it's literally just brainwashing. You won't even give it the time of day to go point for point with these guys. Well, like I said, I, I, I think when we go to a lusty, Battle of a lusty, the reenactment yeah. of the Battle of a lusty, go to Florida uh, in February. Um, you know, I, I thought that if I saw this guy again, you know, as a historian, as a journalist, I actually should, if, if he's willing. Yeah, I get him in front of a camera and talk to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, that's that's I don't a great. Want to do it for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and then again, I want to do it because, as I told you before, the best way to show what who people really are is to put a camera in front of them and a microphone and shut up and let them talk. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's important content to have out there. Is you guys having that type of discussion just to clear some heads up? 
I mean, the, the truth always comes to the light, right? And maybe he'll learn a thing or two, right? I, I don't know. I, I don't see what the I, harm could be. Yeah, I, I, people like that, I'm, I'm not trying to convince that guy. You don't see, you don't even see the art. Maybe it's for that reason. When you look these things up, you don't see it. Maybe because it's such BS that real historians won't even step into the ring. I with don't want to, for I mean, lack of better like words. To, you know, it's like trying to talk to neo-Nazis and trying to tell yeah. them. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it is kind of like trying to convince a racist uh, not to be racist. Uh, yeah. Too far gone, I guess. Wow. Uh, I mean, I would talk to him to get his viewpoint. To, yeah. To basically show how ignorant the man is. That That's the I whole thing is I don't know if I'd bring a guy like that on here just for him to spew. Well, I mean, you're giving him credibility. Yeah, exactly. Wearing the uniform is somehow, you know, he's. I'm not going to sit here and call him names. I'd like to. I'm not going to do it. But I mean, for some reason, he wants the attention. Yeah, clearly, um, clearly, yeah. I mean, the guys. Yeah. So if you had him on the show, that would probably, you know, be right up his alley. I mean, for your audience, you know, maybe they should see and hear him. I I don't know if I want to be on the same show with him. Um, I don't know if I want to. You know, we'll let's talk about that later. Uh, that's one I have to think about. Yeah, it's it is something. But it would all this being said. In all honesty, as as a producer, it would make a great show. Oh, for sure it would. But it's also like bringing on a guy that claims the Holocaust never happened, and then uh, brings a bunch of fake facts you know, to prove just, his fake history. We got I just mean, nice. You, you can find a set of people that will come up with any kind of theory. Exactly. You, there's always a group of people that are going to come up with the contrary. Always. Always. QAnon, all of the beer stuff that nobody can prove, but they believe it. I just saw, you know, not changing the subject too much, but I think it's CNN is do, did a thing last night on all the people in this, and it's a cult who think that John F. Kennedy is still alive and so is his son. That's a new one. I never heard oh, that no, one. No, no, it was on CNN last night. There is a whole cult of people that think that Kennedy never died. He's in hiding, and he's going to come back. Of course, he's a, how, old, how old would he be now? Yeah, what is anyway, he, 100? Whatever. No and and that, that, uh, that John Jr. didn't die, that they're both wow. alive. Just unimaginable well, on, on Q, well, in Cuba with Tupac. Is, you can find a group of people who will believe in damn near anything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Either somebody's uh, really dead that's alive. I remember Paul McCartney. I remember when I was a kid, I watched all these videos, maybe in ninth, tenth grade, claiming that Paul is dead. And some of it's convincing. You know, we've got the 9-11 conspiracies. There's always going to be somebody. You know, I mean, you know, and, and it seems like it's more with younger people, too, than with, you know, people in my age group. Um, yeah. I was just with because, you know, we both were at uh, Nate Brown's mother's funeral in New York yes. City. And there were some people that I, that rolled with me. I, <laughs> it was a comedy. I go to New York City and I rent a car. I won't say the company's name. And it's my fault because I tried to save money. But this particular rental car rental company said you get a mystery car. And if <laughs> folks rent car, they'll they'll know what company it is. But it says you won't know what car you're getting until you pick it up. Mystery car. But you save money. I'm like, what the hell? You know, this is a trip I took because I knew Nate's mother briefly, an amazing woman. And Nate is one of my best friends and I knew he was hurting. So I took this trip, but 
trip that also costs a lot of money. So I was trying to save money. Anyway, yeah. so I get this mystery car, and what is it? It's a damn minivan. I got to drive <laughs> through New York City through the Bronx, which we were in for the service, yeah. in a minivan. The last, and the woman at the counter, because I was complaining, I was like, well, do you have anything else? And I said, can I get a car? She said, yeah, it'd be another $150 to get a car through this what? company. Okay, yeah, yeah, So I said, all right, I'll take the minivan, and I'm still complaining. And she said, well, sometimes the mystery vehicle's a pickup truck. Unbelievable. And I was like, oh, okay. I could have gotten it worse, right? At least it wasn't a work van. At least it was a minivan. Oh but for God. what it's worth, that is a pain to drive. Bronx is 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 especially for a person who's not from the Bronx. Driving a minivan through the Bronx is its own hell. And I by yourself, that, like this is just weird, a weird car to have. Oh, no, I had a van solo. full of people the last day. Nate and his relatives. Oh no! Nice. So it was so, so it did work out, I guess, in the long run. If you're able to fit well, no, everybody in, comments were you know. And you got a you know how Nate is. Nate's leaning out the window trying to tell people not to cut in front of us. Like, no, no, you can't do that. Stop. Because <laughs> you know how Nate is. And people are cutting in front of you, man, and honking. Uh, that's anyway. that New York driving, man. I'll oh tell you. God. It gets crazy in New York. Speaking of oh. New York, one of the great New Yorkers that helped contribute to New York City and the highways is who we're going to discuss when we get back. The great FDR or as many in the comments would say, the insidious, horrible FDR that locked away Japanese citizens. We're going to get into Eleanor Roosevelt. We're going to get into Japanese internment camps. All right here on this radio program, so you should not go anywhere. Historian Joseph Hill is here with us, and you shall return with us as well. DJ Honky Wonkies on the ones and twos to play some incredible music. Let's get it rolling, baby. I see it's time to open up, release what I feel inside, and take you 
write a book on how you make feel. Come on. Welcome to another edition of the Ryan Shaw FM. Joseph Hill is in studio, and we are just covering everything on this beautiful morning here in New York. And this is an executive order by way of me, Ryan Vernell, host of this show. Not Executive Order 9066, but it's an executive order. 9066. We're learning, baby. We're peeling back the layers. I made a quote, and I wasn't even really, I didn't know that it would get peeled back so much, but I said that. I asked you, I said, when did the Democratic Party, or I think I actually said Democrat Party, because you know me, I'm just an idiot. Why, when did the Democratic Party become less racist, knowing that they're damn well just as racist as anybody else? I just had to ask, just to clear this up, I think that all of these political parties have racists within them. I think that all of these le leaders and politicians have some insidious underlying personalities. And yes, that includes Joe Biden. Sorry. Don't trust the guy. Just to clear that up for our redneck listeners. But you did mention that FDR sparked the change in the political party when it made that flip and more poor people, black people started voting for Democrats. It was, I guess, technically when the party kind of switched and people were saying, no, it wasn't then. It was at a different point in history. So it was kind of up for a debate. But one thing that really stood out to me when we were talking about how the Democratic Party was less racist was the fact that FDR did give out Executive Order 9066 in February 1942, in which he authorized the forced relocation and internment of Japanese Americans that were living in the United States, uh, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And this affected 120,000 people. 125,000, maybe. 125,000 people. It's a lot of people. So... If you could maybe just give us a little bit more clarity as a guy that uh, really does appreciate FDR and uh, and what he did for this country. Like, what are your thoughts in general on these internment camps? Um, you know, was it a regrettable move? Did FDR? I mean, he, we didn't really he didn't live long enough for us to really ask him if he but regretted let, it. 
let, let's get to this first of all. Yeah. So I saw some of the comments where people were saying, you know, that my lauding of FDR, you know, ignored the interments, um, you know, that he was a horrible person, blah, blah, blah. And he may have been. I think, in my opinion, he, he probably was our greatest president. Because for two reasons. Well, we were facing existential threats. And for people who don't know what the word existential means, it means the ending of, like, the biggest threat we could ever get. Yeah. We had two of them going on during his, when he was president. One, when he came in in 1932, we were in the middle of the Great Depression. And for people who don't know what the Great Depression is, look it up. Yeah. Massive unemployment, uh, the Wall Street crash in 1929, 29, 28. Uh, he came in as president in 1932. And I remember my parents talking about being in soup lines. Uh, people didn't have jobs. They didn't have food. Okay, that's number one. Then the other thing, the other existential threat during um, his presidency was World War II. I'm not going to sit here and I said he was empathetic because of the polio, that he had started out arrogant, very wealthy, good-looking, contracted polio, could not walk for the rest of his life, was in a wheelchair, and had to depend on people for all kind of stuff. And it made him a more empathetic person to people in general. But what I didn't get a chance to say a couple of things was one of the things that made him more liberal than other presidents was his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, who was one of the great women in American history. We could do a whole show just on her. By the way, for all the people who don't know history, because when I mentioned that the other day, and my grandkids go nuts over this, for people who don't know, Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin Delano Roosevelt were cousins. Wow, that's gross. But I expect that right back then, everyone was kissing well, cousins. They, I think they were like fifth generation removed, but they were cousins. Oh, so I guess like technically it's not American incest after know. second I mean, generation of cousins. Never, I ain't going to say that. If you're in <laughs> parts of the country, anyway. But they were cousins, so that's yeah. another weird part of history. And like I said, my grandkids were 11 and 14, the younger ones. Uh, the ones that I see all the time, they that's the first thing that pops up, especially my granddaughter who's 11. She just can't get over that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's you but, can't you know, your cousin. You know, anyway. five generations detached, not to defend our friends in the south. Look, this is going to get our, our southern listeners to love me again. Yeah, no, I think it's up. okay. I, yeah, no, no, this is it might get I, you in trouble if you're kissing cousins, and I want to say it's three, four generations removed, it's not as redneck. I've never, I'm not defending my own actions. I never made out with a cousin. But according to Southern law, I think that's the legal definition. That's what the Confederates said. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of got off the subject. I'm yeah. sorry. It's my fault. They were cousins. But back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. So folks who don't know everything about him or don't know, this guy was a master politician first. Everything that Roosevelt did, he had a political purpose for doing. 
when everybody else was playing check uh, checkers, he was playing chess. Roosevelt was always ahead of the game. Anything he did, he always weighed the consequences. You know what? You know. So I'm saying that because he was a master politician, he was also cold and calculating. Yes, he did things that. I mean, anybody who's a president does things that normal people don't do because when you're a president, you involve the loss of lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Yeah. How many people can handle that? Yes, and if you're an American that. president, you're going to deal with either ordering people in a war to get killed or ordering to kill people because of whatever. That's part of your job. People don't think about that. So in order to be a president, first of all, you got to be a different kind of person. Yeah. So you throw all that in and you throw the fact that he was a calculating politician. You throw in American racism. America was shocked at the attack on Pearl Harbor, even though people who knew what was going, going on knew it was coming. They yeah. may not have known where. They may not have known the date, but they knew the Japanese were going to attack us, you know, people who really knew. But there was still a shock, a horror of out of the blue. By the way, another historical note, my grandkids know this and they love it. What day was the attack on Pearl Harbor? It was December 7th, 1941. Yeah. Day that FDR that day said will go down in history as a day of infamy. But what day of the week was Pearl Harbor? That's a great question. I think we all know December 7th, but I'm not sure. Well, Yamamoto, who was one of the people, General Yamamoto, who planned the attack, had spent time in America, had gone to Harvard, had studied American as far as social animal. He also thought we were very weak. But he studied our social dynamic and knew that we Americans liked the party on Saturday night and were hung over on Sunday morning. Had to be Sunday. I, f- I kind of remember the movie. It was movie. the attack on Pearl yeah. Harbor on a Sunday morning. Yeah. There was a reason. That's why history, that's why I preach know your history because history is an amazing, it's a story, it's a soap opera. All it is is one big soap opera. Anyway, America was shocked at the attack. There was a lot of anger against the Japanese. Then you throw in racism, because there had been a lot of racism as far as laws restricting restricting uh, Asian immigrants from coming into the United States. There were all sorts of laws passed to limit how many Asians could come into America in the first place. Way more restrictions than for European Americans. People don't want to hear that, but it was true. So there was already racism there. Yeah. And then you throw in that attack, and then you throw in hundreds of thousands of Japanese on the West Coast and in Hawaii, which was then a territory, but a lot of the population of Hawaii, and remember, that's where Pearl Harbor was. That's yeah. where it took place. A lot of people who lived in Hawaii were of Japanese descent. So there was a paranoia. In Roosevelt's cabinet, and people said, and remember, that was in February 1942. So that was only like really 
a month and a half after the attack in December okay. of 1941 on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So the venom was fresh. People were angry. They also didn't understand Asians, which is also racist. They, you know, they looked different. They were blah, blah, blah. So they, yeah. they automatically assumed that all Japanese in this country were may have had allegiance to the Japanese government and to the emperor. Because yeah. I don't know how many people know, but in, in Japan at that time, the emperor was viewed as a god. That's right. Hirohito. Okay. Right. Hirohito. Uh, was viewed as a, 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 a deity. Yeah. So how many Japanese in this country, even if they were born in America and lived here, still viewed uh, Hirohito as a deity? So stupid stuff, racist stuff, but you got to throw in all these factors. Yeah. So they panicked. I'd call it a panic because they apologized like 80 years later. Or whatever. A long time after. Reagan. They, they panicked. Yeah. And it was Executive Order 9066. And what it basically did, folks, was they rounded up all Japanese, well, most Japanese, especially on the West Coast, yeah. which is where most Japanese were in Cal the state of California, in Hawaii, and up the, up the West Coast, up the Pacific Coast. And what they did was they rounded them up and put them in, quote, unquote, internment camps, were really concentration camps or prisons. Well, remember, these people had homes, they had businesses, they had lives, they lost their homes. A lot of people went in and took over their businesses because they weren't there anymore. Wow. It's estimated that in today's dollars, the Japanese community lost $3.6 billion. Insane. There were babies born in these concentration camps. What, what was it like, the condition of these camps? Was it anything like the ones over in Germany? Obviously not death they camps. Weren't quite as deplorable as that. Yeah. But something like 1,600 people died in the camps. Wow. Um, you know, they weren't oh, that's like crazy. Standing, they yeah, that's like a lot standing. of people. Yeah. And it they was not like for that long, right? Camps. Like, just really quick, like, how long were these camps, uh, camps open for? Uh, They started in... 42, and they stopped about three or four years later. They stopped toward the end of, wow. so 1945, 44, 45. They finally, you know, came to their senses. Here's another thing that happened, though, within, since we kind of got off in the internment camps. Yeah. There came an opportunity for young Japanese males to volunteer for the U.S. military. And a lot of them volunteered to prove that they were true Americans, that they loved this country. And get this, back to the internment camps, there was not one Japanese ever convicted of sabotage or um, espionage. Wow. So contrary to the Confederates in the South who killed Americans, Japanese didn't do anything, but they were put in these internment camps. Insane. Anyway, there was an opportunity for young Japanese males to join the U.S. military. Quick story, there was a young 17-year-old in, in Hawaii when Pearl Harbor happened. He was 17, and he said he knew his life would never be the same. And he ended up joining the U.S. military. Yeah. 
And I'll tell you the little hit of the story about him. But they, they recruited Japanese and they volunteered. They trained them for a year. Give where they trained most of them at Camp Shelby in Mississippi. Can wow. you imagine having tens of thousands of Japanese trained? They trained them for a year to fight. They wouldn't send them to fight in the Pacific. They sent them to fight because there were two theaters, what's yeah. called theaters, a military term for where wars are fought, by the yeah. way, is one of the team terms is theater. There were two theaters in World War II, the Pacific Theater and the European Theater. They would not send Japanese soldiers. They did have something uh, it was like a spy unit. It was an interpretation unit. They did have some Japanese on the West Coast yeah. in the Pacific uh, who were intelligence because they could speak fluent Jap- Japanese. They used them that way, but not as soldiers. As soldiers, the guys who volunteered and the unit that was formed, two units were formed, the 442nd Regiment and the 100th Battalion were the two big units that were full of Japanese soldiers. Wow. They fought in Europe. They fought in the toughest and in North Africa. They fought in the toughest battles in Europe. They fought in that invasion of Italy. And if you, people who know geography, Italy is shaped like a boot, if you know anything about Italy. They fought from the southern part of that boot, from the down and low, all the way up to the north. All while their families were held in these camps. Their families are held in these camps and they're fighting it. And, and they had something like a 300% um, casualty rate. I mean, wow. they, in fact, the 100th Battalion was called the Purple Heart. That was their nickname, the Purple wow. Heart Battalion. Listen to this, folks. The 442nd and the 100th Battalion the Japanese-American battalions in World War II were the most decorated military units in American history. Wow. They had, I'm going to look at my notes, 4,000 Purple Hearts, which means you get wounded if you get a Purple Heart. Yeah. Okay. And 4,000 Bronze Stars. They had 21 Medal of Honor. That's the highest honor you can receive in the military is a Medal of Honor. 21 Medal, and a lot of those came after the war. And those two units received the Congressional Gold Medal. Back to that 17-year-old in Hawaii when it was attacked who said his life would never be the same. Yeah. That young man joined the U.S. military, and he was in the 442nd, and he fought in Europe, and he had his arm blown off. And his name was Daniel Inouye, and he became a United States senator from Hawaii. Wow. And I remember seeing him. He's now passed on, but, you know, I'm older. Inouye was quite the senator, but I remember one of the things I remembered about him was that empty sleeve because he had one arm. He lost that arm in World War II. Um, and a number of them, there was a, there's a woman congresswoman, can't recall her name right now, but she was a congresswoman, born in an internment camp and became wow. a congresswoman. Um, but these 
They fought, they literally put them in the most dangerous parts of the war. And they fought in Anzio. They fought all through Europe. Listen to this. In 2012, the French government, all the surviving Japanese-American soldiers, the French government made them chevaliers of the French Legion of Honor for saving France. Wow. Wild. Uh, you know, we mentioned all of these accomplishments and accolades that these guys have, and I feel like it was limited to just the littlest section in the history textbook, at least the one that I was clearly barely well, reading. I mean, we don't find out about Native American units, too, in the military. Thought, percentage-wise, way more Native Americans in the military than should have been, and they also fought valiantly. You know, there's the stories about the Navajo warriors because, you know, they spoke Navajo on the communications. What are they? Uh, there's a whole movie made about them in a book. Um, I think it was Nick Cage, right? Wasn't it Nick Cage? It? Somebody was in it. I know, I know the movie you're talking about, though. Yeah, anyway, but yeah, and they, they only spoke Navajo, and the Germans couldn't pick up what they were yeah. saying. That's um, right. But there were a lot of Native American, of course, percentage-wise, a lot of African American. You know, a lot of minorities, so-called minorities, high percentages have always fought in the U.S. military. So just to kind of come full circle here and wrap things up about FDR, I mean, how big of a blow is this? Is this, would you say this is the worst chapter in his history as the president president of the United States? Yes and no. But listen to this, and I'm going to equate this with sports. I don't know how many people, because we're talking to a younger audience and people who know sports. There was a guy named Lou Alcindor who Mm -hmm. came out of Power Memorial High School in New York. And he uh, said, I'm going to UCLA. And he was seven foot one, and he was considered the best big man to ever play high school basketball. And everybody knew he was going to be a superstar. So the NCAA, which is a sanctioning body of college sports, came up with a new rule that said, and I don't know if you know this or not, Ryan. I know a lot about Kareem, but I did not know this. This is when Kareem came out of high school going yeah. into college. You know, they had a rule that said you can't dunk the basketball. So I for did hear four that. years, while Kareem played, well, three years because he didn't play as a freshman. The three years that he played for UCLA, they won a championship all three years, by the way. And I wow. think they lost two games in the whatever. He couldn't stuff the ball. So he developed that sky hook. That's how wow. he got the sky hook unstoppable shot, but it was because he couldn't dunk the basketball. And he said, oh, I'll show you. I'm going to have a shot nobody can stop, and I won't be stuffing the ball until he got to the NBA. But if you notice, Kareem never did a lot of dunking because they outlawed it. This is leading to FDR, believe it or not. That also explains really quick, not to get too far off here, why people aren't perfecting that movie more because they can just dunk. Right. I always, I never understood that one. Nobody else could just hook. master the sky hook. When he shot that sky hook, he actually shot that down on the basket. It's crazy. It's one of the craziest looking shots of all time. It's, but it's an unstoppable shot. Anyway, they changed the rule yeah. for Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul Jabari, changed his name. Yeah. They changed the rule for the presidency after Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Because, you know, he was president for four terms, folks. He was president for 16, what would have been 16 years, except he died in his last term. Wow. 
and they said no more. They made the presidency a term limit. So there was no term limit before that? He was president for six. He won four straight elections. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there he was if somehow won, they just made an exception. He won, had he been old enough and yeah. healthy enough, he would have just been president forever because that's how much wow. he was loved by most people in the country, especially black people. Like I said, I probably mentioned this before. My mother told me the day he died, she cried like a baby. My parents loved them some FDR. <laughs> people loved the man because he had gotten him out of so much stuff. Yeah. You can't say the other word. But yeah, he had yeah. guided them out of all that stuff, which, in my opinion, makes him arguably the greatest president we had. He was the right person at the right time. Now, the bad things about him, other than the internment, which is really bad, is he didn't desegregate, in my opinion, this is me as a black man, yeah. he didn't desegregate the U.S. military. The person who desegregated the military was the guy who came after him. Harry Truman. Speaking of Harry Truman, you know, Truman was his last vice president because he had, he always had people who he considered real weak and kind of nobodies as vice president because he ran it all. So that was another thing he did. Basically, vice president was Eleanor. He didn't listen. He he, he just had people run with him to win elections. That was the thing. And then, then he would vice presidency in those days, you were over in another building and you didn't know nothing. Like, wow. guess what? Harry Truman didn't even know about the atomic bomb stuff until Roosevelt was uh, died. That's wild. That Harry is Truman absolutely knew, wild. Truman knew nothing. So that was another thing. And think about this. And this is strictly ego. In his last four years, that last election, he was a dying man, and he knew he was dying. Doctors had already told him, "Dude, the jig is up. You're dying." He had a he already had polio. Yeah. Then he had this bad heart. He had heart failure. Yeah. And they said, "If you look at pictures of him, the last couple of years of his presidency, and especially those last months, you know, when he went to Yalta, when they met with uh, uh, Churchill." And um, and Stalin and Yalta, when they were ending up World War II, he was a dying man. I mean, he if you see him, he's in a wheelchair and he's got a like a blanket on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he was a dying man. So he was so egotistical that he didn't give any power or any confidence to his vice president. And wow. in a way, he I guess he thought he could beat death. But he was president, a dying man until, you know, so that was another flaw in his presidency because he should have actually passed a lot of that knowledge and power over to Truman. Truman, you know, in fact, Truman had to do everything on his own because he nobody had told him anything about any of the secrets of the presidency. Wow. That is why. Would you say that if he didn't die, he would have gone for a fifth term? Do you think there would have been anything to stop this man? If he had been healthy enough. If he had gone for fifth term, he'd have yeah. been a president of fifth term. So at that point, it's not technically, uh, you know, a dictatorship, right? I mean, you're voting. No, it's that not in. a dictatorship, but it was no contest. It was yeah. like within his party and within the Republican Party, whoever ran against him. Do you even know the names of the people who ran against him? No, not even it's a clue. Like, okay, you're I grew up in Chicago, yeah. right? Mayor Daley was the mayor. 
from my whole childhood in Chicago, it was like we only had one mayor. There was no like other person challenging Dick Daly, Richard yeah. Daly for the presidency. He was the mayor. Yeah. And we never even thought about another mayor. It was like Richard Daly was the mayor. That's the way it was with FDR as president. There was like wow. no thought of, you know, dark horses and somebody from his party or somebody from the Republicans running. It was like, eh. Do you happen to know what the uh, results were of any of his elections, how much of a landslide it was? No, but they were big ass landslides. They, wow. it, it was it was never a con- the the toughest contest he had was the the election of nineteen thirty two, the first one. Yeah, and after that, it was all over. Unbelievable, Joseph. It is that time that we do have to wrap things up, and we've got some gems here today. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. My God, I'm going to be having to Google a lot of things after this one. Pretty crazy stuff. So overall. It does explain for sure why you think FDR was the greatest president of all time. He did have a lot of time to be the greatest president of all time. And in the most imperative time that this country has been through, that the world was really going through. Do you think that any other president could have handled what was happening during World War II? Or do you think, like, you know, you look at history. Is there another president that could have filled the shoes of FDR maybe in that time frame? Or do you think he really did save the country? Well, a person that he idolized, his cousin was Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy yeah. Roosevelt was his cousin. They both from, from New York State. They both had been secretaries of the Navy, which um, they both had been governors of New York. He did everything his cousin did in a, in a pattern. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, and Teddy, <laughs> Teddy was brilliant, another Harvard man. Um, Teddy was brilliant. Teddy probably could have done some of it. He was pretty extreme, but he probably could have handled it. George Washington maybe could have handled it. You know, you got to transition George Washington to modern times. But George Washington was was a brilliant dude and quite the leader. Um, you know, there there were some presidents, some other people. But um, the thing about FDR and, and for people who really want to dive into this subject matter, look at what he did to get people back to work during the Depression. They came up with all kind of work programs, government yeah. funded, but they got people back to work. And then what they did at the beginning of World War II, because when World War II started, we didn't have a lot of weapons. And what they organized, they converted places like Ford, like these auto fat. They were making either planes or tanks, and they were pouring them out. And they had women working in the factories because all the men were off the war because my mother was one of those women. Wow. And they called them Rosie the Riveter. It was the right. first time women had jobs that only men had. They were working in factories because they needed them because all wow. the able-bodied men were fighting the war. Wild. Um, yeah, he did a lot of wild stuff. Um, stuff like Social Security, all, a lot of stuff that um, benefits for veterans, all of that. A lot of that stuff came from FDR. Joseph, thank you for joining us. And everybody can listen to more of Joseph Hill by going to Official Black Truth on Instagram or just going to his Facebook. Look up Joseph Hill. Find him on Facebook. Send him a message. Let him know you're listening. And be sure to check out his documentary. Where can they listen and watch the documentary that's out there right now? Let's direct him to the YouTube. Well, um... (laughs) So my editor, who my first editor for the documentary, yeah. Black Border Warriors, 
is Russian. His name is Mikhail Gerstein. If you go under Mikhail Gerstein in YouTube, um, God. That's a tough one. You know what we're going to do? We're going to put the link I'm going to put bio it up. of the Ryan Keep show. That. Mikhail yeah. has the whole documentary. I only have trailers. If you go to just go under me under YouTube, you'll see the trailer. Mikhail has a whole documentary, and it's a little, little, little more than an hour long. A lot of history involved in that, too. Totally different stuff, but a lot Black of Black Border Warriors. We're going to put the link in our bio. Joseph, thanks for joining us. You, the listener, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you learned a little something. I know I did. We'll be back soon to wrap up tonight's show. Don't go anywhere, folks. We will return. Using our name, it's a shame you got bitch off of our stress and strike. And you ain't never gang bang in your life. Your wife, the one who really wear the pants in the house. So answer this: Is you a man or a mouse? Tricky like Mickey when it come to cheese. Yeah, you took a little quickie from the cheese, but that's cool though. You did a do low, but after every show, now the homies ask where that fool go, and soon you'll know just what we bothered about. Do you hear my homies hollering out? Where all the east side riders at? Where all the west side riders at? To spit. And if you feel he run the show, then you a buster too. What must I do? How many real rap G's is it? Just a few. I put my trust in you, like the OJ Jew, but you diss, so feel my fist of fury. Sure, we used to be cool and all that junk. Little fat pot belly, big booty duck, quick mark. All good things must come to an end. Yes, even this radio program. But I want to thank both of our guests, historian Joseph Hill and the great Johnny Dabin for joining us tonight. We learned a lot. We got to have some fun, expand our brains, shrunk in our egos. Ain't that what it's all about? And we want you, the listeners, to ask questions. Let us know what you think. Give us some input. Go to our Instagram at The Ryan Show where you can see a whole bunch of different videos. I know many of you are listening on the radio. This gives you an opportunity to actually look at our faces. We're not putting out full interviews just yet. We need to build that YouTube channel up just a little bit more. So if you could go to our YouTube channel, look up The Ryan Show FM at The Ryan Show FM on YouTube, and it'll bring you right to our YouTube channel where you can see some great clips and eventually full video interviews. Before we go anywhere tonight, I want everybody to take a little bit of time to send a prayer out for a friend of this show, Crazy Bone. One of the greatest rappers of all time and a quintessential part of one of the greatest rap groups ever, Bone Thugs and Harmony. He's in the hospital right now, apparently is going through something very terrible. But like always, if we all focus our energies, doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or you believe in the flying spaghetti monster, focus up those energies and send it by way of Cleveland to our friend Crazy Bone. Man, our thoughts and prayers are out with you, dude. One of the great guests of the show and an incredible human being. So everybody, send some energy out of Crazy Bone. We'll be back at the same time 
and we'll be back at the same place next week. And I'll be a lot calmer because the Yankees are already eliminated from the postseason. So now we can yell about the New York Giants and we can rant about the Los Angeles Clippers. Don't worry, West Coast, I got you too. You guys may have noticed that we've really taken a heavy sports turn over the past, I'd say, six months to a year. It's nothing really to do with Fox Sports Radio. If you listen to the show way back in the day, you know we were always talking Clippers. We talked a lot of Yankee baseball. And the show just kind of moved into the direction of music and just like a shock jockish type of radio program, which I'm sure it still is, according to some people. But we really are trying to focus on American culture. And I'm sorry, but sports are just a huge part of it. So I'm very excited to be going and analyzing the Los Angeles Clippers and breaking them down the same way I'm breaking down the Yankees. Why, you ask? Because it's just the team that I like. It's nothing to do with me going to L.A. Most people are confused, especially because we've actually developed a little bit of a, a Yankee fan base, thanks to our YouTube audience. So I'm sorry, guys. If you're a Yankees fan and you hate the Clippers, you're out of luck. Come back next year, maybe four or five months from now. You can come back here in April or March, and we'll be back on the same page as you. But until then, we're talking Giants, and we're talking Clippers. If you're a listener and you want to get involved with us, all you got to do is find us on Instagram at The Ryan Show and let us know what it is you'd like to do. We've got live shows galore. Mr. Cheeks, the other host of this program, is performing all over the country, and you know that I'm popping out. I actually got to plug one show that he just sent me in which I'll be hosting as well, and that's going down at SOBs. It's Hip Hop's 50th Thanksgiving Eve at SOBs, and you can catch host of this program, Mr. Cheeks, performing, headlining, Amongst many rap legends, including Cassidy, Saigon, Capone from Capone and Noriega, Royal Flush, another dear friend of us here on the show, uh, Nature and Ali Vegas. Go to eventbrite.com, look up a hip hop 50 Thanksgiving Eve, it'll pop right up, or go to the link in Mr. Cheek's bio at Mr. Cheek76 on Instagram. Man, if you were a real fan of the show and you watch even the most random posts that I make, you saw I was at the Yankees game just this week with Royal Flush and Hamptons Dave and Franco from the Oven Podcast and what's going on. And we just had a blast. So, you know, as much smack as we talk about the Yankees, man, no matter if you win or lose, you really do have a great time at Yankee Stadium. Fortunately, they actually backed up my man Garrett Cole, and it was a great game. One thing I must say also is just shout out to Garrett Cole to watch that guy go out there and pitch the way he is. I mean, it's obvious at this point he's pitching for his Cy Young. He's clearly going to win the Cy Young Award in the American League this year. But just a different breed, man. I tell you, you know, pride to the Yankees. We talked about it a little bit with Johnny Damon. Not many people seemingly have that pride of the Yankees. Sometimes it starts when you're a little kid and you're a fan. A lot of kids hate the Yankees. And how can you blame them? They're just embarrassing themselves, especially when you look at the lineage and the history of those pinstripes. Watching how they're playing right now, it's just miserable. But that being said, Garrett Cole still musters up that pride of the Yankees, goes out there, pitches his ass off. As Franco would say, he's a moose. To see a pitcher like that in person is the only way to really get a glimpse into the greatness. You can always watch on television, but to stand there and watch him pitch and get as close as you can. If he's pitching, I advise everybody to go get some front row tickets because it's just a sight to behold. It's like back in the day, you hear a lot of old people, right? People even older than me talking about the great Sandy Koufax pitching. Well, Garrett Cole is one of those guys. You got to see it to believe it. The guy's still chucking 98 mile an hour fastballs into the eighth inning. It's incredible. Shout out to Garrett Cole for keeping up the pride of the Yankees. And shout out to you, all of our Yankee fans that are so loyal to us here on this program and keep listening. 
This is The Ryan Show, and hopefully you have the pride of The Ryan Show with you as you leave tonight. We'll be back at the same time in the same place next week. I love you, folks. Thanks for all the loyalty. We'll see you later. Adios. Peace. See ya. See ya.